Okay. So, Shmuel Bet. Whoa. This is an action-packed book. And, yeah, got to hold on tight. It's going to be a bit of a wild ride. A lot of, a lot of action. So, in general, to just sort of, um, uh, let's say, give us an introduction, what's happening now is Shaul is dead. And am I, am I blurry to you? Sorry. Uh, I don't know where that is. Okay, well, you don't have to look at me. We'll look at the screen share. I guess, I don't know why it does that. Okay, so, all righty. Okay, we're going to start here. Okay, it's a longish parak. And it's basically, I mean, there's a few different sections, but basically we're going to divide it this way. David, his first steps after the death of Shaul, and the development of the opposition. And um, it's going to be very problematic. What we might think is, great, okay, it's been a long time. Shaul was trying to kill David, and Shaul is now dead, and therefore David is has got a clear field, and he can just go become king. It doesn't look out that way, and there's a number of reasons for it. Um, part part of has has to do with David and his uh, the way he acts, and part of it has to do with Avner. What basically happens is that the kingdom splits, and Avner puts up Shaul's son Ishbosheth as king instead of Shaul. And then we have a situation where the, the kingdom is divided. And this will take a while to work through. So let's let's take a look here. Um, I want to just show you the map, okay? In order to understand this, this, this line is giving us sort of a border where Shaul's uh, uh, son is going to be king. And that's going to be everything except for Yehuda. And Yehuda is going to be the kingship of David. All right, so this is where um, the biblical Gibat Shaul is. Gibat Shaul, not where it is in Yushalayim, but north of Yushalayim. This is Gibat Shaul. And Binyamin is um, Yerushalayim borders both Binyamin and Yehuda. We'll get back to the map. Let's take a look at the text. Okay, Shmuel Bet, Perak Bet, Pasakali. What's happened before, the last part is Shul, uh, David finds out that Shaul is dead, Yonatan and Abinadab and Malkishua, the three older sons of Shaul are all dead. And he he hears this from this Amaleki guy who brings him the crown. And for a number of reasons, David is not pleased with this kid. And he kills him. He said, Amalek, he 
later on, later on, when David's talking about it, he says, he thought he was giving me good news. David is not happy about the death of Shaul, and certainly not about the death of Yonatan. And he, the last part of Perakalaf is this beautiful lament, how have the mighty fallen? Till today, that's an expression that we use in all these circumstances when a great person dies. How have the mighty fallen? And now David has to make a move. So immediately you see the behavior of David. David right away consults Kaddish Baruch He doesn't make decisions on his own. And this is going to be a very stark contrast to Shaul, who is not was not in the habit of consulting God, and he was kind of impulsive, and this got him into trouble. David doesn't make a move without consulting. And actually, usually, the Urm Betumim, if he consults the, the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol, usually it's a yes or no answer. Shall I go up to the Arei Yehuda? What is his question? David is, has been hanging out, I'm sorry, he's been hanging out in Plishti territory on the coast here, right? He has had a place further south called Siklag, and that's where he is. But he's not Israel proper, and he wants to go to Israel proper, and he now feels that Shaul is not going to be chasing him anymore. Shall I go back to Yehuda? Now, if you recall, when he captured uh, back the property of his and his people in Siklag, right, that's chapter 29, Shmuel Aleph, so he gives presents at the end of that chapter. He gives presents to his supporters in Yehuda. David is from Yehuda. His people are from Yehuda. His support is from Yehuda. And he says to Hashem, should I go there? And God says, yes. He says, well, which city? Hebron. Hebron is like the capital of Yehuda. And David's, David's presence was in Hebron for seven years. He was the king in Hebron for seven years until he came to Shalayim. That's another story a little later. But the Zohar says, and it's really an interesting Zohar, the Zohar says he needed to spend time in Hebron because Hebron was the cradle of the Avot, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and he needed to spiritually connect to that. Very interesting comment of the Zohar. So David is going to go and move to Hebron and establish himself back in the land of Israel. And he doesn't go without asking God. But once he asks God, that's it. Pasuk bed. David goes up to Israel. David goes up, and his two wives, one of whom is named Achinoam of Jezreel Valley, and Abigail, who was at one time the wife of Nabal, if you remember the story in chapter twenty-five of Shmuel Aleph, and she's his wife now. It's interesting that Abigail is always called Eshet Nabal Akarmeli, and it could be because. David um, overcame Nabal, right? And so that's, that's a statement. And also because Abigail saved him from a great sin um, regarding Nabal. Okay, plus a gimel. Malvin makes a comment here <coughs> that this, give, this shows you David's 
Emuna, because he doesn't have any doubts about bringing his his wives to Hebron. Basikimo, Shem said, go, he goes. Now, Hebron was actually a lady city, and there were settlements all around it. And David's men all set themselves up in the area. And the Malvin makes another interesting uh, comment. He says, it doesn't have to have his soldiers all around him. He's not afraid, like he has to have soldiers all around him. He goes, if Hashem says to go, he goes. Now, I want to point out to you this interesting thing that the, that Mikra points out. Five times <coughs> in Sukumala, Fet, and Gimel is the verb ale, right? So the David's move to Hebron is an aliyah in every sense of the word, and that is clearly taken here. So I think we can definitely take from this uh, section, a, a number of blessings. And one of them, of course, is that um, we can learn from David to rely always on a Baruch Hu. Of course, we don't have that hotline to God, so we don't actually know what God wants us to do. But definitely, you can ask Eitzah, you can, you can uh, plan that your things, whatever you're doing, should be um, guided by Das Torah something to think about that's that should be um a given i don't mean you have to ask everything but at certain junctures with important the decisions are made <coughs> it is important to consult and the second thing is is really it seems so amazing how david you know david should be like you know i always i, I know this is a crazy comparison but i always think of macbeth I don't like to think of Macbeth. Macbeth, you're going to be the king. So Macbeth kills everybody until he takes over. David, you're going to be the king. He's like, okay, but right now there is another king, and right now there is another king's son. And, you know, and David is a very humble person. And I think that there's a great component here of Sameach Bechelko. Kaddish Baruch wants me to be king. He's anointed me. I will be king. That time will happen, and God will tell me. And I don't have to rush it. And I don't have to go and strong arm everyone. I'm going to be in Hebron if that's where God wants me. And when it's time for things to happen for me, when it's time for me to get what I'm supposed to get, then it will happen. We are some of us very, very impatient. It's a very, very amazing quality here of David. He's, he takes his time. He does what Hashem wants. He knows the end goal. But, right? And the response of the people of Yehuda to David is very positive. And the people of Yehuda came to David and they anointed him for king on the house of Yehuda. Now, there's a real dichotomy in, in Pasuk Dalit, so let's just focus on the first part of it for a minute. David is now anointed king. And it's very interesting. And in like, why does he have to be anointed king? He was anointed by Shmuel back in chapter 16 of Shmuel Aleph. But this is a statement of, we accept you as king. Now, it's interesting if you compare it, Shul was also, you know, accepted as king three times. The first time when Shmuel anoints him, and the second time um, at the uh, at Mitzpah, where there is this whole 
uh, lottery and uh, he's chosen there. And the third time after the battle of Yavish Gilad, which is chapter 11, when everybody unanimously accepts him as king. So there, there were two aspects to the kingship. And uh, I don't think I opened that up for you. So you'll have to believe me on this one. Maybe we can. Nope. I keep opening references. And I don't open all of them, but okay. It says in, in Parsha Shoftin in uh, Dvarim, it's the section that discusses making a king. There were two parts to making a king. There's the part that says, Som Tasim Alechamel. This is Dvarim Yudzayim, if you want to look it up. Som Tasim Alechamelech, Asher Yibchar Hashem. So there's two parts to it. Part one is you choose, you put upon yourself a king. Part two is Asher Hashem that Hashem chooses. And this is really important. We see this also with Shaul. When Shaul hears people do, not accepting him, he doesn't feel that he has achieved status of kingship yet. There has to be an element of acceptance by the people. It's very interesting. So David is now king over Yehuda. He's been accepted. And the, the fact that he was accepted by God, that happened a while back but it didn't happen until now in any real way. And now he is the king over Yehuda. And it's amazing the first thing he does. This actually, the English teacher with me is disturbed by it's not being a sentence. The people of Yavish Gilad who buried Shaul. Okay, in English you'd have to have a verb in there. The people of Yavish Gilad buried Shaul. And David is his first act as a crowned king is to um, react to that tremendous uh, selfless act of uh, burying Shaul, Pasukei. <speaking in Hebrew> Isn't this amazing? The first thing David does, and like you might say, okay, the people of Yavish Gilad are Shaul people. This is extremely clear. They are, because at least go back to chapter 11 in Shmuel Aleph, and we see how Shaul um, uh, saves the people of Yavish Gilad. He travels all night <coughs> with his army. He vanquishes the um, Nachash, the king of Ammon, was threatened to put out everyone's right eye, which is kind of creepy. And, and the people of Yavish Gilad, like, they are repaying Shaul for his intense uh, salvation in chapter 11. They come all night long. It's this beautiful parallel. And the Plishtim have taken Shaul's body and his sons. They cut off Shaul's head and they hang his body on the wall of Beit Shan and the people of Yavish Gilad, obviously this is a dangerous thing to do. The enemy is out there. They take down the bodies, they bring them back to Yavish Gilad, and they bury them. And David might be, you know, you have to think about this because in those times, now unfortunately in Sefer Malachi, we see that this actually does play out. In those times, when new king you know, came on the scene, the first thing they did was wipe out everybody who's 
uh, family or supporters of the other king. And, and here we see something totally different. When Yavish Gilad shows extraordinary loyalty to Shaul, David says, And David's, his whole worldview is not, I need power, I want power. It's like, what is, what is HaKadosh Baruch Hu want here? He says, this is a tremendous chesed. We have an expression called chesed shalamet, true chesed. What is true chesed? True chesed is when you do chesed and there's no chance that the person can pay you back. And that's burial, right? If you bury somebody, right? That's, a, that's not something anybody expects a payment for, right? That's called chesed shalamet. So David says to them, you are blessed. You did this tremendous thing for Shaul and you buried him. David's respect for Shaul is posthumous. He doesn't only respect Shaul as, uh, as a king when he's a king, right? He's, he's uh, avoided hurting Shaul. He supported him when he could. You know, he did the, you know, may God bless you, far, keep you far away from me situation because... Shaul was trying to kill him. But after he dies, he, he's angry with the kid who says he killed him. He, he mourns Shaul. It's not a normal thing. It's, uh, it's, it's David. It's his great, great chesed and his great, great um, tzidkis. That that's what he looks at here, passing above. Now, yas Hashem mimachem chesed ve'emet. That's our catchphrase. Hashem should do with you also. Chesed and Emet. He blesses them. He is a grandson of Ruth, if you recall. Because I definitely opened Ruth for you. Here we go. Yeah. Okay. Right? Nomi says to her daughters in law, Yas Hashem Machem Chesed, Right? You did such Chesed with me. And later on, I'll, I'll go back to this. We have to go into later on. We see that Boaz praises Ruth's chesed, and the whole town of Beit Lechem praises Ruth's chesed, and the whole Megillah of Ruth is described as talking about chesed. And this is Ruth's great grandson, and chesed is what animates him. So he says, "You guys are amazing! What what a tremendous act of chesed! This is his." his legacy for generations, chesed. And that's what he gets from Ruth, and that's what he gives over. And interestingly enough, he says that, I also will do good for you because you've done this thing. David is willing to give them back. Now you must strengthen your hands and be brave uh, soldiers and uh, men of valor, because your master Shoal has died. And, and I have become anointed king over the house of Yehuda. So what is he saying to them? It's interesting, like, what does he want? What is the message? The message is be strong. You are now on your own because you don't have a king, right? And he can't protect you. But you have to be strong. On the other hand, like I, as king of the Bnei Yudah, I'm here also to help you. If you need help, I will help you. So David gives them that. And I think that it's, uh, 
a tremendous lesson here in acknowledging someone else's good. And sometimes people are embarrassed to say to someone else, you know, wow, you know, it's really special what you did for this person. And I'm like really um, grateful that you helped so-and-so. I, I think it's wonderful. And, you know, <laughs> people sometimes, I mean, we see, I don't know, the last few months in, in, in Israel, so much chesed, I think all over the world. I mean, you know, I get these pictures of like those duffel bags packed and ready to come here and just cannot believe the amount of generosity of spirit and chesed and, you know, and I think it's really important to acknowledge that. That's the first thing David does is he thanks the people of Yavish Gilad. So counterintuitive, so not uh, a usual, you know, next in line king. Very, very amazing. Now, here is where things get a little messed up because right now, Shaul's three great sons are dead. And we don't even know that he has another son. Now, Abner is not only David's, uh, Shaul's commander in chief, he's also his first cousin from the same family. Right? Nair and Kish were brothers, they were the sons of Abiel which is a good name. Okay. Right, so how? Avner ben Neir, Sartsavar Shel Shaul, Akachat Ishboshet ben Shaul, Vayabi Rehu Machanai. And also we find out that Avner is now playing kingmaker. He takes Shaul's uh, fourth son that we never heard of before. His name is Ishboshet. And he takes him to Machanai. Basiket. And he makes him king over Gilad and over the Ashuri and over Israel and over and on Ephraim and Benjamin and on all of Israel. So what is happening here? Okay. And how do we understand this? So it's a very interesting thing. Rashi says something very interesting here. And, um, you know, it's hard to find any other explanation. Now, Abner was a great person, and he's a great general, and we don't know how he survived the war at Gilboa. Was he there? Did he survive? Was he not there? Um, but now he's decided that Shaul's son should be king. And it's it's not so um, it's not so simple because David has emerged since the time of the, the, you know, the duel with Goliath, David has emerged as a very, very great Jewish hero, a very, very great person. And, you know, and the, the understanding that he was anointed by Shmuel and that God wants him to be king is out there. It's out there. People talk about it, right? Abigail says to him, we all know you're going to be king. Shaul says to him, we all know you're going to be king. So what is Abner up to up here? And there's a very interesting Rashi. Rashi says, Abner was a Tamachacham, so he made a drasha. Back in Parshas Vayishlach, okay, this I did open for you, in Bracious, Hashem says to Yaakov, 
Now, at this point in time, okay, Yaakov's already back, back in, um, in the land of Israel. And Hashem says to him, kings will come forth from you. And he already has 11 sons. So if you look here, Rashi says, uh, Benjamin wasn't born yet. So you say you kings will emerge from you. In other words, they're not born yet. And the only son of Jacob who was not born at this point was Benjamin. So therefore, Amir says, if it says kings, that means more than one king. And therefore, right, um, it's not just Shaul who will be king from Benjamin, but also his son. Now, the Chazal not so happy with, I'm going to open the right piece here. All right. Um, the Gemara discusses why Abner gets killed later on. Okay, spoiler alert. But <laughs> one of the reasons they give is that he delayed the kingship of the house of David for two and a half years, okay, by supporting the kingdom of Ishbosheth. We'll get back to this because it's a little complicated. In other words, he made a decision, okay, that there have to be two kings from Shaul, from the house of Binyamin, from the family of Binyamin, and therefore uh, Shaul's son should become king. And we do hear about Shaul's son here in Debreyamin, okay? Now, Eshbal is Ishboshet. Let's talk about that for a second. We have three people who have this Boshet at the end, and the Boshet is also exchanged with Baal. Okay, the first one is, is Gido. Gido is given an extra name, Yerubal. Yerubal Habal. He should fight Baal. If you go in this way, Eshbal is a fire against Baal, and Mephibosheth, who is Yonatan's son, right, is going to be, it's also called Miri, Miri Baal, rebellion against Baal. And because Baal was an idolatry, they changed the name of Bosheth to Baal. So all three of these became Yerubal, Yerubeshet, Ishbosheth, Ishbal, Mephibosheth, Mephibal, Miri Baal. So there seems to be some sort of interesting thing there. I don't know why anyone would give these names, but nobody asked me. Okay. <coughs> anyway, so he takes this man, Ishbosheth, makes him king, and the there is a certain interesting thing that's going on here. He takes him to Mahanaim. Okay, now this is, uh, uh, the dot maker has a very interesting theory, so explain, which explains Abner's moves. Okay. Really, Shaul was king in Gibbah, in Gibbah Shaul. But um, Abner takes Ishbosheth all the way across the Jordan to Machanaim. Now, Machanaim is extremely close to Yavesh Gilad. And this is the border. The, the whole area on the East Bank is called Gilad. But technically, this is the border of Menashe and Gad. And they are supporters of Shaul. And Yavesh Gilad are real loyalists, and Machanaim are real loyalists. So why he takes them there, A, because they're real show loyalists, and B, very interesting, Dath Mikra, Dath Mikra says because the Plishtim hated Shaul, and he was afraid that they would come after Ishbosheth to kill him, 
And they have never crossed the Jordan. So once he crossed the Jordan, he felt secure with uh, Ish Okay. Then, right? And then it says he made him king over the, what's the next thing? The Ashurim. And that's not so clear who are the Ashurim. Is Asher, which is in the um, in the Galil, or is it Ashur, which is going to be later, um, you know, in the uh, in the northeast? But in any event, this whole area of the the east bank becomes Ishbosha territory, and then he moves him over to Israel, which is the Galil, Jezreel Valley, and then to Ephraim, which is Shomron, and then to Binyamin, which is his natural area. So by the time this whole process has finished. Then we see that all 11 tribes are supporting Ishbosheth. It's only the 12th tribe, Yehuda, that's after David. So Abner has managed gradually to extend the leadership of Ishbosheth over everyone except for Yehuda. Back to the text here. And um, then we have the, the, the classic king description, Ishboshet <laughs> was 40 years old when he became a king, and he ruled for two years, but the house of Yehuda was following David. He was, he was, so we see here, and that's what this map shows very clearly, is that there's two kingdoms here. There's the kingdom of Yehuda and the whole rest of the nation that are after Ishbosheth. Now, we have a little bit of a problem here because the next passage says, For seven and a half years, David is king in Hebron, but for two years, Ishbosheth is king over Israel. Now, how are we going to make this shtim? As they would say, how do, how do we do this? And um, I, I I don't know if I mentioned this, but the Hazal are down on Avner for this whole process for making this decision, and they say that he should have come to the Sanhedrin and asked them, "Is this the way it's going to go?" Because he made this halachic determination, according to the Medrash, that there should be another king from the house of Yemen. But how do you know that there won't be in the next 500 years someone else from Yemen? How do you know anything? How do you make that decision? So he is criticized for this. Now we have to kind of answer this question. What? <laughs> how do we explain the two years on Ishbosheth's side and the, and the um, seven years on David's side? So the Gemara, here, the same Gemara says two and a half years, has two different opinions of Machlokas between Rashi and Tosvot. Okay, so basically what happens here, according to Rashi, and this is in the text, the Rashi on the text as well as in the Gemara, Rashi says, um, he ruled everyone for two years. The first, uh, the five and a half years before that, he wasn't king on all of Israel, but only on the gradual, you saw, we saw the gradual extension of his rulership, and that took five years. In other words, what Rashi is saying 
of the seven years of David's rule of Hebron, Ishbosheth was gradually becoming king over more and more territory. And so the last two years, he's king. This is a very, this is Rashi's um, explanation. Tosfos goes, does the exact same thing. He says, he was, I mean, that's the exact opposite. Tosfos says he was king for the first two years and the last five years, he, um, Abner became disenchanted with Ishbosheth. And so gradually, you know, his kingship dissolved because without Abner's backing, he was basically nobody. Um, there's a, a number of other things that, that come up, but that's the general machloket and how do we understand that? In any event, um, we have here this split and it's a very sad thing whenever the Jewish people are split and it's going to be bad. And the, the second half of this chapter is devoted to a tremendous uh, conflict between these two sides. And it's interesting that when we look at this conflict, we'll, we'll look at it in a second, David is not involved. David, you see how he reaches out his hand toward the people of Yavesh Gilad. I'm there for you. I appreciate you. I have no enmity to you. Nothing. David wants to unite the people under his kingship, but he only wants to do it with Darkei Shalom. And one of the things that Again, we see so many things that here that are so amazing about David Amelach is that he's not going to push anything. He he wants peace. So what happens next, he's not mentioned, he's not part of it. That's a good bet. But Yetzi Abner ben Ner, but Abzai Ishbosheth ben Shomi Machanayim give Ona. Abner ben Ner, the great general of Shaul, and the servants of Ishbosheth. The supporters of Ishbosheth, son of Shaul, they go from Machanaim to Gibbon. Now it's interesting. I live now in Gibbat Zeb, and Gibbon is just over. It's like just the next town closer to Shalim is Gibbon. So, like, it's it's kind of interesting for me. Um, so, let's look on the map in order to understand what's going on here. Machanaim is the seat of Ishbosheth's kingship. Machanaim becomes a very important place in other uh, discussions here. So it's, I don't know where it is. It's right there, right over the border, close to Yavesh Gilad. And he take, he, they, he goes on there, been there, to Gibbon. Now Gibbon is a, close to the border with the, the kingdom of David and Yehuda. Okay. Meantime, Pasukigim will be Yoav ben Suriyav Abdei David Yatsu, and Yoav ben Suri. Now that's David's general and also his nephew. They go out by Yifkeshuma Brecham Gibon Yachdav. They meet at the pool of Gibon. By Yeshvu Ela Ela Brecham Yisav Ela Ela Brecham Yisav. I did um, find you a picture. Would you like to do that here? This is the Brecha, the pool at Gibbon. You can see a very, very deep pit where water uh, gathered. It was a natural reservoir, apparently. And all of this, all kinds of digs in Gibbon. Who knew? Um, and um, you could see a lot of interesting stuff there. So it ends up that from one side of this pool are, are, is the 
uh, Abner and his men on the other side of Yoav and his men. And the question is, what are they doing here? What are they doing there? So it seems, um, it's interesting, the Das paper says, we don't know. <laughs> we can understand why Amner was there because this is Binyamin territory. What was Yoav doing there? Yoav has crossed the border, right? If we have a border here, if Yoav is in Gibbon, that means he's left Yehuda territory and encroached on Binyamin territory. So the Das maker says, we can't really know what Yoav was doing. But possibly, okay, possibly there was a religious uh, bama there, a high place where people sacrificed. And it's possible that control of a town where religious center was, was an important thing. But you have to uh, also understand that, and you know, this is what Radak says. Uh, 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 um. Right. Yoav met them on the pool of Gibbon, and it seems that Yoav's intention, this is the Radak, was to fight them, and he saw that it was a large group, so he let it go. Okay, this is the comment of the Radak, and it makes a lot of sense because what is Yoav doing there? And you have to understand that ideologically, you have two camps, and, and, and this is always how it is with Jews, Right? Everyone is convinced that they are doing Hashem Shemayim, right? So Yoav thinks, how dare Avner and Ishboshet go against David? He's the anointed one. He is the chosen one, excuse the expression. And therefore, they are rebels against the king, right? Meantime, Avner says, you know, David is the upstart and Shaul's son should be the king. So you have this ideological divide. And then it kind of gets nasty. Don't forget, Amnir starts this. Let the young men get up and play before us. Okay. Yo says, okay. Now, what does that mean? So it's possible. It's possible that, you know, uh, <coughs> that. What Abner is thinking is, if you recall back in the, in the story of Goliath, right, in chapter 17, Goliath says, why should we have a whole battle? Let my, I'm, I'm representing the Plishtim, I'm nobody, but you give me another representative and we'll just have a duel. So a single man, so it could be that this is the kind of idea. We'll have a wrestling match and we'll see who's, you know, who's bigger and better and stronger. And Yoav says, okay. Now, <coughs> um, this actually is actually um, this idea that Yoav was looking for a fight. This I saw, by the way, and I should mention this, in Emma Yaakov. Rabbi Yaakov says that he was looking for a fight, Yoav, because he held that Abner was a rebel against the kingship. So what is this fight supposed to be? It's supposed to be, you know, everybody wrestling or, or dueling. It's not supposed to be blood. But the Chazal say, okay, um, 
Okay, no, I see no other eye. Derek, Derek Schok. Let's just do it's a joke, right? Let's see who knows how to fight better. A wrestling match. Very, very important understanding of the Chazal. Chazal say, Avner, you think the blood of young men is a joke? You make a game out of fighting between young men? And that's why Avner dies at the edge of a sword. And this is a bit, I think it's very, very important. Like, you know, we're talking about our life lessons. We are so troubled by the loss of any Jewish life. We are so um, distraught at, at the thought of what's going on with the, with the kidnapped hostages. We are so happy to hear of people being saved. You know, in, in Yiddishkeit, every life is critical. Every life is important. How can we do anything that endangers people? Like, how could this be called Schok? And Chazal are very, very harsh on Avner for this. Very symbolic. 12 against 12. 12 of Binyamin and 12 of Yehuda. And that must be because, <coughs> the, and this is the Das Sofum's comment, it makes sense that each one wants to prove I, we, our people should be the leaders, of, the rulers over the 12 tribes. In other words, they're, they're representing the wholeness. Like who's going to be the leaders here? Pasuk Tetzai. They each grab each other's head. That's like, sounds like we're starting it with wrestling, okay? But he's got his sword in his friend's side. And they each grab each other and stab each other and they fall together. And they call this place the place of the blades in Gibbon. Now I'm translating to him as blades because it's used in other places, right? Um, uh, Tsipova, when she does a Mila on her son, it's called their tour. And Yoshua, when he makes a, 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 a Mila for the Jewish people, it's uh, to him. So this is not an unusual term. In other words, this became known as the place of the sharp instruments. And what what do you suppose happens? You know, twelve people killed twelve people, and then, you know, you know, you should excuse me. All hell breaks loose, and the Barbanel says, "Avera goberet avera." One sin brings another sin. This is, you know, of all the worst tragedies, civil war is probably very high up there. When brother kills brother. Is it tsar? Is it atzuv? Like nobody really can win such a thing. The battle became very, very fierce on that day. And Avner and his side were 
being beaten by the men of Israel, by the men of Dan. And um, a very interesting comment also by the Emissary Yaakov. Yaakov says, David's men fought very fiercely because they were so devoted to David. That comes from the fact that David was devoted to them. When a leader is devoted to his people, they're going to respond with ultimate loyalty. But we've seen from Pasuk and Zion that this whole conflict was going to become um, global, the two sides against each other. And we also see that David's side is stronger. And that's interesting because that's only one tribe against 11. Now, who is Tzuria? This is very interesting. Tzuria is a woman. Tzuria is David's sister. Trivia question. <laughs> Apparently, I, I didn't actually check this, but I did hear this, that uh, after the name Esther, okay, because that was the queen in the, in the Megillah, right? The name Tzuria is the woman's name most commonly used in the Tanakh. Because every time we mention Yoav, Abishai, or Asael, they're all Ben Tzuria. So the first thing you have to ask is, why are they given the yichas of their mother? We never see that. It's always after the father. So how do we answer that? So there are a number of thoughts that I've seen, different answers. One is that Tria is alive and her uh, the father is not alive, which is one answer. And the other is that um, she was much more famous. But perhaps the most uh, obvious reason is that she was David's sister. So being miyuchas to David is the most critical thing here. <clears throat> so these three guys are David's nephews. Now, Yoav is clearly the oldest. Abishai and Asael is the youngest. And Asael is super, super fast runner. That's a good tip. Now, um, Asael <coughs> decides that Amner is the problem. And don't forget, these guys are very devoted to David. They want his kingship to succeed. And Amner is really the problem. Amner is the one. Ishboshit is basically, we never heard about him before. He's not a big warrior. He doesn't go to the war. Later on, we find him to be basically uh, a figurehead. And Agnes is really the power behind the throne. And Asael decides correctly that putting a stop to Agnes is going to put a stop to this whole rebellion of the Shaul camp and will bring David the kingship. So Asael decides that he's going to kill Agnes. Uh, and he is so fast, and he knows he's so fast, and the whole nation knows he's so fast. And that is his, you know, superpower, they'd say today. And he knows he's got to chase Abner down. Okay, so he starts running after Abner single-mindedly, what they call uh, uh, <laughs> dogged pursuit, right? He will not leave Abner. And Abner hears he's being pursued. Says, Is that you, Asael? Everybody knows everybody. 
Go away. Go right or go left. Grab some other young men. I'm I'm not, you're not my weight. You're not like I'm you're a lightweight, I'm a heavyweight. This is not a fair thing, right? Go chase one of the guys. Now, what he's doing here is he's offering, he's offering Asael um a way to get out of this without losing his honor, so to speak. Because if you're pursuing the, the you know the general and you don't get him, so then you're, you know. You're embarrassed. So just go catch someone else. Right? Remember this from Shimshon. Chalitza is like his suit. Go and take a trophy. Go grab some guy. Give him a punch. Take a trophy. And, and leave me alone. The law of Asal is single-minded. He will not leave him. And it's interesting. What does he say here? Um... A quote from uh, Kohelet in one of the Mepharshim here, which is Lola Kalim Hamerotz, says in Kohelet, the, the race is not won by the swiftest person. This is a very big mistake Saul is making because Abner is right. He is not up to Abner's weight. Abner is an older, seasoned, he's the general, he's the commander-in-chief. And yeah, you're a fast runner, but you're you're outclassed here. Abner is really trying to get him off his back. Go away from behind me. Why should I kill you? How can I face your brother Yoav if I kill you? Now, it's very clear to Amir that that's going to be the end of it. If he doesn't leave me alone, I'm going to have to kill him. Now, we have a principle in halacha, something called a rodef. A rodef is someone who is pursuing someone in order to kill him. And Asal has put himself squarely into that category. He's pursuing him in order to kill him, and he's not letting go. So according to the Rambam, if someone is a rodef, you are allowed to kill a rodef, right? He hasn't done anything yet. That's a very interesting aloha. He hasn't done anything yet, but he's pursuing you to kill you, right? But the, the really interesting question here, and the Gemara talks about it, and we're going to have to talk about it, I don't know if we'll have time today, but generally the problem here is, generally speaking, we're told to stop the rodef as a person who's a bystander. Okay, uh, Avner is the near dog. He's the one who's being chased. The, the bystander is told, stop him. If you could stop him by hurting or maiming him, that's better. But if you cannot stop him by hurting or maiming him, then you have to kill him. And Avner says, I don't want to kill you, Asal. Really, I don't. I'm, I'm gonna, I, I, how can I face your brother? He's not letting go. But Yakeu Abner, he catches up to Abner, and Abner strikes him. And he uses the back of his spear and he strikes him. Now, the Homesh, um, the Mafarshim explained this is the fifth rib, and it covers a lot of very critical internal organs. So, according to Rashi here, it says, 
um, the marab and kaved are there. Marab is the gallbladder and kaved is the liver. But uh, <clears throat> I don't have it here. The Mitsuda says, right, the fifth rib, shehuel alev, the heart. It, in any event, we're going to hear a lot about the homish because this seems to be a theme in Shmuel Bet that people get struck at the homish. This is a fatal blow. This is a blow that will kill because it's hitting very critical internal organs, the heart, the liver, whatever you want. He's, he's a goner. The spear went right through a soul and he set, fell there and he died in that place. Any person who came by was horrified and shocked to see the dead asile and they just stood there in shock. This was a terrible, terrible situation. Now, um, the fact that Avner is running away shows that his side is losing. But now he has killed Asael. So this is already a great tragedy because it's the brother of, of Yoav. It is the nephew of David. And Yoav and Avishai, the two brothers of Asael, are running after Avner by Shemesh Ba. The sun is setting. This is a certain place. It's not clear to us exactly where it is, but it's still in Givon. And there is a, um, again, there's a uh, hill here, right? And they get to this place in sunset. And at that point, so now we have a situation where, out there, okay, where, where all the Bnei Binyamin gather together with Abner on one side of the hill. So now we have the two sides again. And Abner, no doubt remorseful because of the way the, the day turns out. Shall the sword devour forever? Don't we don't you know it's gonna be bitter at the end? When will you tell your people stop chasing your brothers? And this is so ironic and sad. Like now he turns to Yob and says, like, you know, isn't this enough? We killed already so many people. Tell your people to stop chasing us. And Amir's reply, which is, you know, expected by Yom Yob, Basically, Yoav says, you started, if you hadn't come up with this stupid plan of, you know, let the boys play, you know, in the morning, we all would have gone. It would have been the end of it. But Yoav does agree to a ceasefire. Excuse the expression, became a dirty expression. He blows the shofar by ceasefire. Yoa blows the shofar and everyone stops and they don't chase them and the the war stops. They travel all night <coughs> on the plane. P L A N E. I'm sorry, P L A I N. Not, not P-L-A-N-E, 
They travel all night by Abu Tayyarjay, they cross the Jordan by El Chukol Habitron, which is a place by Abu Mahalayim. They, they travel, where's our map? They travel from Gibbon all night long. They travel on the plains, they cross the Jordan, and they come to Mahalayim. And it's interesting that Abner's not quiet until they go back there. He's not calm, he's running away. And, um, and Yoab gathers all his people. They stop chasing Abner. And they gather together and they make a count. 19 men died in Asael. It's interesting, it's 20 men, but Asael gets a separate mention because he is this great person. Lola Kalim It says the race is not won by the swift. He made such a mistake here. And the question that we have to ask, you know, is was Amir able to, like we say that, that the Rambam says that a person who's a Roje, if you can hurt them or maim them, then you should do that. Wasn't Amir, and this is the question that comes up later, wasn't Amir a skilled enough um, warrior that he could have hurt Asael and not killed him. And he strikes him a blow in the Chomesh, which is the place where we have the, all these internal organs, and this is the fatal blow. And was it necessary for him to kill Asael? And that is going to be a major question coming along um, in the, the next few chapters. Pasik Hikumi <clears throat> 31, Pasuk 31. The people of Binyamin lost 360 men. So now if you ask, let the, let the youth see who's stronger, it's very clear that the men of David are stronger. They lost 20 people, 19 plus Asael, and the people of Binyamin lost 360, which is an incredibly, uh, you know, great number of people certainly compared to the uh, men of David. They carried Asael back. They buried him in the um, grave of his father, Asher Beit Lechem. Don't forget, this is where David's roots are. <coughs> and this is grandson of Yishai. They went all night, Yoab and his men, and they came to Hebron at light the first light. And it's interesting because we see here Amner going all night and David's men coming at light. So there is some, something very symbolic and we saw this also when Shaul went to war when he left the, the witch at Endor he goes at night and David travels in the day. In other words, we're getting this sort of symbolic sense that you know, the house of Binyamin is now traveling in the darkness and the house of David is full of war. David, you know, the David Hashem Ovi Yishi, God is my light. So we see that. And it's, first of all, I want to mention that you see this whole story and its tragedy and this civil war. David's name is not mentioned. I mean, he's mentioned that his servants David is not part of this. David wants a peaceful union. He wants a peaceful transfer of kingship. 
he's not interested in this sort of thing. And the Bible says, Avera, Guerrero, Tabera. Once you start with these conflicts, it just gets that spirals out of control. And when Abner says, till today we have these expressions in modern Israel, he uses it. Are we going to be fighting forever? And Yoav says to him quite correctly, why did you start it? Right? If you hadn't said anything, there's different ways of interpreting this. I'm going in this direction. If you hadn't started, this wouldn't have happened. From the morning, we all would have separated and gone our ways. It's all your fault. You started. Of course, that is what we, you know, what we said when we were little kids and we were children and like, you started. It doesn't matter who started. It, it ended up really bad. It's so much put a stop to it. Okay, but we do have to remember that it's certainly not David's fault. Okay, we'll stop. I, I have a question for a second, um, if that's okay. Um, so Avner, it says that he was, um, you know, a, a Saltava of Shaul, but wasn't he also um, Shaul's brother? If he was Ner's son, wasn't he Shaul's? Shaul's first cousin. So why does it say Ben Nail? Wasn't Shaul Ben Nail also? Ner was a brother of Kish, Shaul's father. Oh, I see. Okay, got it. Cousin. So, okay, his first cousin, I guess he if felt he it. Had, he was if family. he had been a son of Shaul, being yeah. a very powerful personality, he would have taken the kingship for himself. But here he's right. the kingmaker. He's the power behind the throne. Once but, he yeah. gives up on Ishboshet, Ishboshet is finished. And that's a big mistake that Ishboshet makes. Right, so but my question is, he must have felt that he had some sort of... Um, I don't even know what the word is. I can't find the word, but he must have felt that his, him making um, Ishbosheth the king, because um, I, I, I'm assuming that he was, in his own way, he was a, a great man. I don't think he was just like another person. I think he felt that there was, um, that it was rightfully Shaul's son. And maybe he felt that Hashem was somehow on his side. I don't know. I'm just trying to like put myself in, in like you and said, that there. I, I should make, make the point that the personalities that we meet here, some of them, like Avner and Yoav, are very, very complex. You can't like put tags on them easily. Avner is a tremendous Samachacham. He's making, according to the Mendes, he's making a calculation that there should be another king from Binyamin. On the other hand, he is the kingmaker. He he retains power like this. So it could be that that's part of his motivation as well. It's not entirely selfless, right? Or maybe it just blinded him somehow and he that was his that was his downfalling. Like he felt that it was Ishbosha that deserved it, but the uh in Ali Shore, Revolbi says a person has to know themselves. A person has to really, really analyze why they do things. Because we think sometimes that we do things and there's self-interest and there's selfishness and a lot of stuff going on there that's not Shemayim. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, Abner was a very great person. The Gemara has a whole discussion, right? Why does Abner get killed by the sword? And one of the th one of the answers is one of the answers is that he 
um, he should have been seeing the grand picture that David was anointed, David was chosen by God. Everybody knows it. You'll see that it comes out, everybody knows it. Why weren't you saying, okay, you know, we should all go with David? You are the one who's dividing the kingdom and holding up God's will. So the Chazal say that's a problem. And if yes. you think that you have a logic argument, it should be two kings from Benjamin, you need to take that to a Beit Din, you need to take it to the Sanhedrin. You need to discuss it with, you know, the great ones. This is not your decision to make. That's one thing. The other thing is, what did you do to Asael here? Were you, were you, you, you stabbed him in such a way that it was, it was a fatal blow. You could have maybe not done that. And this is what Yoav is furious. Yoav contends that. It's a very interesting Amara that's, that has this whole debate. You know, um, Yoav says, like, you know, why did he do that? You have to do that. But Yoav did stop the fight, even though he was so angry? Yeah. <laughs> Yoav is also a very complex character. Yoav is like, he's such a great person. And in so many places, he's so on the money. And he really, you know, he's so correct. But sometimes he's hot-headed, you know. Here he sees, like, okay, it's time to stop. But he well, also understands that basically they won. The reason Abner is calling a halt is because Abner is losing. Also, Abner is shocked by the whole episode but, of style. But, right, but... but but yeah, I've never saying let's stop, let's stop. Well, you know, people are getting killed, and Yo says, "Yeah, that's true, let's stop." But Yo has the upper hand here. Maybe I know, but Yo have lost his brother, so for that kind of rage, and and I feel like that makes him even bigger of a person because he was able to stop himself despite feeling, right. you know, like, that it was. Right. But like this is a case where he he's going to wait with his. Anger. He's not forgiven. Oh, I see. Okay. And as the story progresses, we're going to find out, you know, what happens here. It's it's not like Yoav forgives Abner by any means. Oh, okay. Got it. This is such an action-packed safer. Like every parak, it's like it's such a dramatic safer. It's like, oh my gosh. Like, hold on. I feel like we're in for a very wild ride. Where, where is Shmuel in all of this? Because, like, why isn't Shmuel... Shmuel oh, Shmuel died. died. Don't you remember? He died no, back in twenty-five. It was his ghost that Charles spoke to. But there that's are... Right, that's right. I had to say Charles. I had to say Charles because there are two Nevi'im that take over from Shmuel. Mm. One is God, right? And one yeah. is not God. So yeah, so where are they? Right. It's not like you don't have who to consult. And there is the Kohen Gadol with the Urim Tumim. It's not like you don't, you can't, you know, consult with God if you right. want to. So, but everyone's making their own choices and the choices are not so good. And, you know, it's again, like we're heading here for civil war, which is a terrible thing. And you know what? It, it's so bad. It's so bad. And poor David is stuck in the middle of it. You know, it gets worse for David. And David is like, you know, he, he didn't, he wants a peaceful situation. He, he's, you know, going to be horrified by this story, but he's just not. 
But I, I just wonder, I'm like, it's like you said, there's so many options for them to ask. It makes me wonder if like, if we had that option today, um, because there's so many big rabbanim that disagree on things. And if we were able to say, well, you know what, we're just going to go ask in the Urim Vitomim. Would people still do that? Or would people still figure out a way to fight? I wonder. I anyway, just a thought. I don't know. We're tough. Because we're tough. We're tough. Yeah. But as how was Abner able to get away with it? Get away with what? Meaning like how how come he, I can understand how he himself was a unique person and was able to convince himself that he was doing the right thing, but he had many they accepted his kingship. It's very interesting. It it, it doesn't seem, you know, is there's a rabbi in the Gush, Rabbi Liebtag. He has a very he has a very interesting perspective here on this. Is think about this, right? You don't know anything about David being anointed. If you don't know anything about David being anointed, and you hear all this news, maybe you say to yourself, "What's with this David guy? Why is he rebelling against Shaul? There's a reason that Shaul is hunting him down to kill him." So, it could be that people are very angry at David, and then they don't have any. Good feelings about David. Like he raised a very interesting question. Like, if you're living there and you, you know, you don't know what's happening, you're not part of the inner circle that understands that David. No WhatsApp. So like, I said, <laughs> but I thought there also was this widespread uh, following that he had gotten by this point. And yeah, so at what ha what's going to happen is that support for Ishboshet is going to gradually dissipate. Because Ishbosheth is just not, he's just not the right personality for this. He's, first of all, he's, uh, you know, without Abner's backing, Abner gets angry at him, right? And without Abner's backing, he's basically lost. He doesn't know what to do. And so, I, and by contrast, David is so, such a strong figure, such a, you know, I mean, and when the people finally come to David and say, you know, we want you to be our king. They say, even when Shaul was king, you were the one who took us out to war. You were the one who fought our battles. So forget the whole anointing thing. They, like, they all loved David. David was a very beloved character. So it could be that, you know, on, you could look argue it both ways. You say, well, everybody loves David. But on the other thing, people saying like, you know, why was Shaul so angry at David? It was his son-in-law. And Shoal was loved and he was the first king. And it wasn't like you could just take and erase that. And what I'm saying is exactly like you said, like it wasn't like all these little, thinking of all these little villages. I don't know what else to call it. It's not like they had WhatsApp and all these things that they could know the ins and outs of everything. They didn't get the memo <laughs> that David was now the yeah. it person. So they just follow like a herd. Like this is what they're told. And this is, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm just trying to imagine in those days how it went and... Maybe that somehow is ignorance. Very interesting the way Rabbi Liebte goes into this whole discussion of like, what if, what if you were just an ordinary person and you're just like looking at this from the side, you would say, well, David is a rebel. What do you know? Right. You know, and then there's all the rumors that David is, but how do you know? Well, how do you know? And that's the problem here. No one bothered asking. This feels almost like a sin. Like you have 
the means and no one used them. Like where were the Nevi'im? That's why the Chazal are unhappy with Avner. Like, what were you doing here? Right? This was not the correct move. Right? You you made a judgment on your own that Ishbosha should be king. Like, but you you knew the truth. Avner also has other counts against him. Okay. <coughs> we talked about this. There were two occasions in um in Shmuel Oliver, chapter 24 and chapter 26, where um David it has the ability to kill Shaul and doesn't. And the first time is he comes in the cave and he rips his cloak. Okay, and the second time is when the camp is asleep and he comes sneaking into the camp, he takes Shaul's spear and his water, his water jug. So on those two occasions, right, and, and there's a paragraph tell him about it. I'm numb, Ellen. I'm not sure if it's nun chet or nun tet. And according to Chazal, in, in that parakatilim, Menchet and Utet, David is complaining about Avner. Because Avner, you know, when he says, look, I tore your cloak, right? So Avner says to Shaul, that's nonsense. You caught it on a, on a thorn and he found the piece. And when he takes the spear and the jug, he says somebody else gave it to him. In other words, Avner prevents Shaul According to the Medrash, okay, it's not a text. According to the Medrash, I'm going to prevent Shaul from making up with David. I'm there says, no, don't believe him. He's lying. He, he didn't really have that out. It's not, not true. So um, so that's how the, the Helm starts. You're silent and you should have spoken righteously. So David has Tainas on Avner. You could have made peace between me and Shaul and you did the opposite. The wow, says, that's really corrupt. All kinds of things against Avner. Another one is the Gemara says, where were you when Shaul decided to kill all the Kohanim? You, wow. you had nothing to say? You didn't, you didn't protest? So there's like a number of strikes against Avner. One is this that he didn't, you know, that he talked against David at, at places where David really could have made a dent with Shoal and really could have made up with Shoal. I don't know how that long it would have lasted, but Avner put himself firmly against David. He did stop the massacre at Nov. Now he's, you know, you know, uh, unilaterally decides that Ishbosheth is going to be king. There are a lot of things that he has to answer for. Killing a soil, maybe he could have prevented that, maybe he could have you know, he gives him a blow in a certain place. We're going to keep hearing about the Homish, right? In a certain place with certain death. Okay? It seems like a sinamic al-kelet-et-ashura. Yeah, it's like, it's it's hard to understand. Like, why? He right? hated David so much, but why? Yeah, but, you know, then you find out he doesn't hate David. It's just, it's, that's why I said, they're very complex characters. Everybody thinks they're doing a shame shamayim, these guys. And they're really, you know, and you kind yeah. of like a well, movie, what do we call it? the train wreck happening? Like all these various factors are going to add together to have a lot of, you know, real negative effects until we get to the place where David is universally accepted. That someone like, like Avner, you're just like, what, what do we do with that? And Avner was a great person. 
And he was also a great person. He also makes major mistakes. All of us are flawed, bottom line. Yeah. All that's of us have sure. interest. Okay. And sometimes thanks, thanks mom. Thank All you. Right. Thank Bye. you. Take care, ladies. Bye. Bye. Bye.